How are y'all? We're packed in here. This is nice. Uh, we'd like to welcome y'all to the bunker. Mainly, I asked Dad about doing this uh, about like two weeks ago. Mainly because, and uh, another way of saying thank you for all the people that have donated money or helped us do fundraisers over this past summer and the year before that. So we just want to say thank you so much. And y'all seen what we've done, and we haven't had exactly this many people in here, but we've been crowded many times in the youth this past school year. But we just like to say thank you. Uh, we're going to play a few worship songs, and I think after the first song, we'll take up an offering, and uh, we'll get things rolling.
And uh, so I want to, this is the topic for tonight. What we see in this, there's a lot of neat stories and there's a lot of neat things in this passage. But the question is, should I rejoice because I'm suffering? Should I rejoice because I'm suffering? Have you, number one, have you ever suffered? Have you ever, most of us suffer with, uh, you know, maybe somebody looking, looking at us a little funny when we say we're a Christian or inviting somebody to church. We may get a little pitter patter in our heart, you know, say, I wonder what they'll think of me if I invite them to church. We may get a little antsy and stuff like that. There's several things here, but I want to look at the very first thing. If you'll back up, and most of us know this story, I want to focus kind of on the end of it. Most of us know this story, but the very first ten verses, it has to do with what I call when a problem becomes an opportunity. When a problem becomes becomes an opportunity. Now listen, most of us, uh, we've got here at Promised Land, we've got a lot of good problems. Uh, we're out of space, and you know they've had out of space in the bunker. We've been. Uh, really tight in a lot of our uh, worship services and different things like that. Thank the Lord for these problems. Uh, we've got uh, parts wearing out everywhere, stuff wearing out, things need fixing and replacing. These are all good problems. You've got people using stuff, kids bang stuff, kids break stuff, adults wear out stuff. Uh, all of our, uh, uh, you know, even our carpet. I was looking, you can look at it later, but I was looking at all of our aisles, look at the carpet underneath the pew, and then look at our aisles. And, you know, we was talking about maybe one day, a year from now, or when, I don't know the timing, that's up to, between the church and the Lord. Uh, but one day remodeling the sanctuary, and so stuff's wearing out. And those are good problems, but did you know with every problem, any problem, and it could even be, say, uh, say there's a problem, uh, but even in amongst uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Say there's a problem between me and you. Say there's a problem between uh, Joe and Schmo. I don't know. I'm just naming names. You know, and say we have these two problems. It, what if you look, we looked at a problem instead of a problem just being a problem? What it say? I wonder how God could be glorified in a problem. I wonder how God could get something good. That's why I call it tonight. You know. Uh, this first part, when a problem becomes an opportunity. You know, so in verses 1 through 10, I'm not going to read it, but it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to the Holy Spirit. And then it says, so he died. And then verse 10 says, then she fell down straightway at his feet, yielded up the ghost. And the young man that buried the husband came in, got her, and went out and buried her. And then it says in verse 11, And great fear came upon all the church, as many as heard these things. Uh, I think it breaks God's heart whenever uh, problems arise. But God is up there and He's saying this. God says this. When problems arise in a church, when problems come up in a church, God's up there saying, Oh, there's a problem, but... Will they look to me? Have you ever thought about that? There's nothing. I mean, problems are going to happen. Because why? I'm a sinner. And do we live in a sin-filled world? So, guess what? If you're not having a problem now,
that. Here's the key. God says, you're going to have problems. Will you look to me? An oppor- a problem becomes an opportunity. What will we do? Ask yourself this question. Now, here's what my prayer should be. My prayer. I, as your pastor, I pray this all the time. I remember one time getting real serious with God saying, God, if I, if I become a, a stumbling block to people coming to you, if I become a stumbling block... You know, you know, at the time, this was back in the 80s, whenever Jimmy Swaggart was having his problem, and uh, Jim Baker, uh, PTL, I was trying to remember all these old uh, televangelists, all these problems, and now we got people like Benny Hinn and uh, uh, Charles Tilton, remember that fell out in Dallas, Texas, and and uh, all of that. So, you know, you got all these... Tele- you know, I thought about myself, man... What if I get out here, start pastoring one of the Lord's churches, and and I just do something stupid, and it causes people to turn away from God? And I, you know what I said? I I meant it. I said, God, just go ahead. And I was sitting in my blue toy, 1980 Toyota Corolla. <laughs> one I just put umpteen miles on, wore out going to see this little girl right here. And uh, so I was just wore that little Toyota Corolla out, going back and forth to seeing her and everything, going preaching appointments all over the place. And uh, but I, I was sitting in that Toyota Corolla, and I wouldn't get out. I said, God, if I'm going to be a stumbling block, I want you to just kill me right now. And I meant it. Matter of fact, before I said the words, I realized how serious it was. I said, now that either I'm being flippant and silly with my prayers, or I need to mean this. I, I was serious. I wasn't being trying to just say, well, God, if I'm going to mess up, just go ahead and kill me now. I was really, I was weeping. And I said, I don't want to be a stumbling block to people coming to Jesus. And I knew about Scriptures like this. And these are not Old Testament, God kill them with a bolt of lightning Scriptures. This is New Testament stuff, isn't it? We're not talking about Old Testament Elijah calling a uh, uh, fire down from heaven or Elisha calling a she-bear out of the woods to kill those young men. We're not talking about Old Testament. We're talking about New Testament stuff. Am I a stumbling block? Folks, if I, as your pastor, can pray that prayer and say that to God, why can't we all? Am I... I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want to be the one people trip over to get before they get to Jesus. If people are going to trip over anybody, let them trip on Jesus because He Himself said, I am a stumbling block. He said that. I, my, if you look at Him, His preaching offends. His Word offends. So don't let me offend. Let His Word be the offense. And if people are going to trip, don't let them trip over you and me. Let them trip over Jesus. Okay? And then I think... I don't want to be the reason that uh, when I talk to people, when you are you and do you discourage or do you encourage? Do you bring unity or division? Do you make when you talk to people? Do you make them? Uh, 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 do you cause people to want to walk closer to Jesus? Now let's head on to verse fourteen real quick. All right, doing great on time. There we go. Um, the progress from the problem. Verse 14, And the believers, this is all because great fear fell upon the church. 
This is all because um, people started, they had a reverent fear of God. Verse 14, what does it say? And the believers were more added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women. Um, and so, matter of fact, this good progress that came from the problem, what was the problem? Two church members caused everybody to go, two church members caused everybody to go, man, God's still serious. We may be in the New Testament, but God's still serious. I mean, He's serious. And then people started getting saved. It says it right there. Okay? And then, matter of fact, everybody got so excited. Man, if we can just get close to Peter, his shadow. So, And then also, notice this. All these sick people started... Verse 16. All these sick sick people started going to the apostles and getting healed. And then it says... Now here is what I call the progress from a problem. And then all of a sudden, verse 17 happens. Then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, they were filled... Man, I'm just so... Hey, Jerusalem is our town. Jerusalem is our town. I'm not going to let a bunch of hillbilly preachers from Galilee take over my town. This is my town I'm talking about. And these uh, these righteous self-righteous religious leaders were saying, Jerusalem is my town. It doesn't belong to them. So then it says, verse 18, they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Now, I want to stop right there and talk about this. It'd be kind of like, remember that old uh, uh, saying, uh, Houston, we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. Uh, Chuck, can I pick on you? Okay. Where did that saying, Chuck, where did that saying, Houston, we have a problem, come from? Apollo 13. Now for the bonus round. President in nineteen seventy. Very good. That was before he was born too. Okay. And uh, so not it, it occurred on April they launched April the eleventh, nineteen seventy. Nixon was elected first time in nineteen sixty eight. And then our country reelected him by that at that time the largest landslide election in nineteen seventy two. But there was a little rumbling underneath. And many of you are aware of the little rumbling that occurred and many people fell by the wayside after the election in 1972. And that was called Watergate because of the Democratic national campaign to reelect the president was a part of a break-in scandal. It caused a big commotion. Now this was, as a matter of fact, the only president of our United States of America 
Houston, we have a problem just carried on over. That happened in 70, but things are already going uh, uh, kind of bad for Nixon. Anyway, there was a bad problem, bad problem, bad problem got worse. First time in American history we've ever had a president resign. And uh, he resigned August the 9th, 1974. And, but throughout of all that, that's bad, bad, bad. Our nation, matter of fact, he said it this way. Nixon did. I'm going. To, I remember watching it on TV and uh, seeing him getting on that helicopter and you know shaking that head and doing that peace sign that he did and all that thing. And you know at that at my age, I was pretty young and I, I remember thinking, I really wonder what's going on. I didn't understand it all until I studied it later. But bad, bad, bad. But out of all of that. Out of all of that, by the way, Apollo 13 ended in good, it was pretty uh, good ending. And so did the scandal. The scandal brought heartache and injury to a lot of people in, in our nation. But there was a man that came out of that who was reeked right in the middle of it. And it was Nixon's hatchet man. His name was Chuck Colson. And Chuck Colson, he was special counsel to the president. Out of all of that, one of his friends was witnessing to him at the time. And he got saved. And matter of fact, he wrote a book about And he went to jail. And the reason he went to jail, he just got saved as a Christian, gave his heart to the Lord on the side of a freeway, and he's pulling over, squalling and bawling when he left his friend's house, if you read his story. And he's just pouring his heart out. He said, God, whatever you do. And then it came up, his lawyer said, I got you a plea bargain. All you got, and you won't have to go to prison, but you got to lie. And he said, "I just got saved. That means if I lie, it'll ruin. I'll be the stumbling block. It'll ruin everything I just said. I just gave my heart to Jesus, and now you're telling me he's talking to his lawyer. He said, "You want me to lie?" And he says, "I can't do it." Guess what happened to Chuck Colson? He went to not county jail, not state penitentiary. He went to federal penitentiary because he would not lie as a Christian. Now, because of the the stature of his case, his, he got his terms shortened. But because of that, he became internationally known as a Christian speaker and author because he took a stand. So what good came out of a bad situation? So when a problem happens, guess what you can have? You can have an opportunity. Now lastly, in closing, and again, thank you all for coming over here. And uh, Caleb, where'd you go? You reckon you could do us a song for invitation? Okay, all right. And uh, just checking uh, before I get there. Ready? Verse 28. This is what I call this last point. The sermon that cut to the heart. And I've, and I've, we've looked at this... <clears throat> And the sermon he's preaching, and he says, uh, verse 20, uh, let's get over here. There we go. Get my page over here. And saying, Did we not straightly command you? This is kind of reminds me of those lawyers that was dealing with Nixon, I mean, with Chuck Colson. This is the religious leaders of the day. Didn't we tell you, apostles, that you for you to hush and not speak in his name? You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine 
and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. I love verse 29. This is a call sign. If we ever needed one in 2015, we need verse 29. We ought to what? Obey God rather than man. If there's any time we need that spoken, we need it spoken today. And because we are living in a nation that's adrift. We're living in a nation that's slipping. And this sermon cut to the heart in verse 29. Peter said, uh, we ought to obey God rather than man. Verse 30 says, you killed Him. You, he, he was raised from the dead. Verse 31, Him hath God exalted with His right hand to be Prince and Savior. 32, and we are witnesses of these things. We've seen all this. Verse 33, and when they heard that, they were cut. That's why I call it the sermon that cut to the heart is what verse 33 says. And then, and then I want to skip down to verse 39. This is what I call verse 39. This is what I call it. From the electric chair to the whipping block. From the electric chair to the whipping block. Look at verse 39. Uh, Gamaliel, he stand up. He's like uh, the Ph.D. professor of all professors. And he's saying, listen, guys. Y'all don't kill them because uh, if it's if it's of if it's not of God, it's going to go away. But verse thirty nine says, if it is of God, then why are you fighting against God? That's verse thirty nine. So what happened was, is they said, well, if we're not going to electrocute them to death, <laughs> if we're not going to kill them, verse forty. To him they agreed, and when they called the apostles, they just beat them and gave them a commandment. You don't need to speak any more about Jesus. And notice here's the whole key. Look at verse 41. When they left out of that uh, that jury, that courtroom, or whatever you want to call it, what they say? We rejoice that we were counted worthy to suffer shame. Could we say that? Could we have the courage? And that was the title for my sermon. A title for the message. Should we rejoice for suffering? Should we rejoice for suffering? It says, as a matter of fact, verse 42, what does it say? They didn't stop. They didn't stop. It says they kept going. Caleb, you come on up and get ready for a song. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you.